If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. If you're using your pew Bible, it's on page 348. Page 348. As we turn there, you'll notice, as Matt mentioned, that it is uh, a song. It's called David's Song of Deliverance. There's something about music and about singing that really seem to invoke emotion, you know. Um, if you're like me, depending on the mood that you're in, you might listen to different kind of music. Uh, you know, if you're in a good mood, I might listen to, to higher and quicker music, but if I'm in a, a lower mood, I might listen to something a little more or slow, and music helps you kind of realize how you're feeling. It helps you um, deal with emotion sometimes, and when we sing in church, it helps us to praise God. I mean, we, we could stand here and just read these words, and that would be true, the words that we sing, it would be good, but it wouldn't exactly be praise. It wouldn't exactly um, be worshipful. So there's something about music and about song uh, that help us to uh, experience emotions and that help us to praise God. So we see David doing that here. And so the fact that it is a song has some significance to it because David is doing more than just recording something as he's writing this. He is letting his emotions go. He's letting, his, uh, he's letting this be praise to God. And uh, when I first, when we, this morning, Ashley asked me, she said, are you going to read all of this? <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah. And fair warning, it looks long, but I've read through it several times, and it, it doesn't take as long as you would think to read it. It's, it's spaced out like a song, and so each verse takes up more space than it normally would. So it's not like we're reading two full pages of, of Scripture as we normally would. This won't be quite as long. It is long, but not as long as it looks. So, let's read here in 2 Samuel 22. We'll read the whole song. Um, so, hear with me and just, just hear how David is praising God throughout this. Chapter 22. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From His temple He heard my voice, and my cry came to His ears." Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds a gathering of water, out of the brightness before him coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. 
He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness, of, the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With a blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you deal purely. And with the crooked you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You, have, you gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them, I thrust them through, so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with the strength of the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but He did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from my strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me as soon as they heard of me. They obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortress. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out of my enemies, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this word, dear God, even this lengthy section that we've read, dear God. I pray that you would open our hearts to it, dear God, that we would hear you speak to us through it, dear God, that we would uh, be able to see how you've worked in the life of David and, and praise you for it, dear God. And I just pray that you would uh, just be with us this morning as we continue to, to dig through your word. Always I pray in your gracious and holy name. Amen. So maybe that took a little longer than I expected, but I think it was helpful to read it in its entirety. Uh, so one thing that we've already mentioned is that this, of course, is a song. Uh, I didn't sing it because that might have taken longer, but what we see here, though, is this song, and we see that it's placed in 2 Samuel. Now, what, most of what we've read in 2 Samuel, even first in 2 Samuel, has been a narrative type where we just see someone explaining what has been happening. And this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but for the most part, it's just historical. It's, it's we're hearing what has happened. We've seen... I think one other song in uh, First and Second Samuel, but for the most part, it's been 
you know, just narrative, just descriptive of what has been going on in the life of David and of Saul and of all of Israel. And so the fact that this song is here has to have some kind of significance. The fact that this isn't just another description, the fact that an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the person who wrote 2 Samuel included this song of David, not only in the Psalms, it's not only there in the Psalms where it, where it belongs as a song, but it's here in 2 Samuel. So I want us to ask that. Why is it here in 2 Samuel? I want us to ask that first as we try to get a hold of this text. You know, we're not, we're not going to dig through each and every verse, but I want us to see kind of some bigger pictures throughout uh, the passage, some bigger ideas. But to first do that, I want us to ask, why is this psalm here? Uh, this is David's song of deliverance. So, um, you know, it is praise to God also. This is kind of the two things that we see running throughout this. The fact that it is uh, historical and that David is writing about things that has happened in his life. He's writing about God delivering him and rescuing him. But then it's praise because we see it in the form of this song and we see things that David say in it that make us know that it's praise. You see, it could have just been, you know, an autobiographical, an autobiographical paragraph or it could have been a memoir that David writes, but it's a song. So it's more than just history. It's more than just a David telling us something that has happened or telling us ways that God's rescued him. It is praise and there are deep emotions in here. There are, uh, I mean, David's being really honest with us about how he feels. He talks about his distress. He talks about you know, basically being scared for his life. So David is very honest with us here. But I want you to hear the ways that, that it specifically is praise. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. He says, My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So that's at the beginning of the song. And look at the end of the song in verses 50 and 51. It's kind of bookmarked by these very specific praises to God. He says in verse 50 and 51, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So this song, I believe, is filled with praise, but we see these two bookends at the beginning and the end in which David is specifically showing us that he is praising God through this. And the thing that he is praising God through are different reflections of his life. Throughout this song, David is reflecting on different things. I want us to draw out four different things that David is reflecting on. And as we read, I want you to realize that, that while this is a song, so this some things that David say may not be literal, but, but it is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the way in which he has described the events of his life and, and the things that God has uh, done for him. And, and when he, quite frankly, when he reads about his death, he actually isn't being artistic there. He's being really literal. I mean, think about when he says, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. Like, that could be, we could say David's being a little bit dramatic, you know. We could never say things quite like that, perhaps. At least not many of us could say that, you know, the snares of death have confronted me. Um, but, but David literally can say those things. David has been at war with Saul's son and with his own sons. And with, um, he fought Goliath and he's fought other armies. And all of them didn't just want to win the war. They wanted to kill David. 
So when David sings this, he can sing this literally when he can say, the waves of death have encompassed me. So he's not being dramatic by any means. He's literally talking about the ways in which he's been really close to death. And while David has um, kind of been through some of this, we can see that he has, uh, he has been faithful to God through it all. And so as we break this down, I want us to break it down by four different reflections that we're going to see David make. Four reflections, and I want us to see, there we go, sorry. I want us to see in each reflection something that we can learn from that reflection. So we're going to see the thing that David reflects on and something that we can pull from that and that we can learn for ourselves. So the first thing that David reflects on is his afflictions. David reflects on his afflictions. So that's the first reflection that David makes. That's the first thing that he is focusing on. Now, this is no surprise. Uh, if this song is going to be about God delivering David, then there had to be something that God is delivering him from. Right? The thing that God is delivering him from is what I just mentioned. All that, all that death, all that entangled by Sheol, that kind of thing. That is what David is literally being um, delivered from. That was, he was close to death so many times, but through it all, like I said, he remained faithful. He remained faithful to God. Now, he of course had his downfalls. He had particular ways in which David fell, in which he sinned, in which he uh, was unfaithful to God. But the general direction of David's life was faithfulness to God. And we see that in different events in his life, like when he had the opportunity to, opportunity to kind of shortcut his, um, his kingdom, when he had a chance to take a, a shortcut and become the king by killing Saul. Two different occasions he could have killed Saul and been the, been the king. But he trusts God through his restraint. He shows his faith through his restraint. And then throughout his life, he writes various psalms that we even read, like the psalm that we're reading today, but also um, Psalm 52 he actually writes this kind of while he's on the run from Saul, and he writes these words. He says, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. So in this reflection, uh, while David's reflecting on his uh, afflictions, we can learn from David that we can praise God during our afflictions. We can praise God in our afflictions. So we can kind of take a note from David here. And while he wasn't perfectly faithful, the general direction of his life was faithfulness. And while he's on the run from Saul, probably one of his greatest afflictions, where he spent a couple years running for his life, he praises God through it. He is faithful to God through it. And see, so we, we may not be chased down for our life. We may, we may not be at war with our own children. But we do have afflictions in our life. And we will at some point in our life face death. We will at some point uh, be in a way that David was as far as facing death and close to death. And in those times, we have an opportunity to choose to praise God. To choose to praise God. I think that's big because I think a lot of times we do the opposite. Or you see people do the opposite anyways, where whenever something bad happens, whenever you lose a really close loved one, instead of clinging to God, instead of praising God and trusting God and honoring God, we turn away from God and turn our back to God and turn to something else. A guy named Del Ralph Davis writes 
kind of about this and says something we can learn from David here is this. He says, it doesn't matter, it, oh, excuse me, it does matter how you live in your difficulties. You dare not use your multicolored afflictions and pressures as excuses for turning away from your God or breaking loose from His decrees. He then goes on to quote Psalm 37-34 where it says, Wait for the Lord and keep His way, and He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on the wicked or cut off. So we can take a note from David here that we can't just turn away from God when we feel attacked or when we have things going on in our life or when we're afflicted by God. That's the time to turn to God and to cry out to God, to trust God and to praise God. These are all things that David does during some of his worst afflictions. And it doesn't mean that we don't hurt. You know, it doesn't mean that we're just this rock that, that doesn't show any emotion. David shows plenty of emotion in this song. I mean, look at verse 7. It says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. From His temple He heard my voice, and my cry came to His ears. So David wasn't this impassable and emotionless rock. David was calling out. He was crying to the one who he knew could protect him and who was powerful enough to rescue him from his dangers. So David first reflects on his own afflictions, and then after reflecting on his afflictions, he then turns his reflection to God's response to his afflictions. David next reflects on the response of God. And this reflection where he's talking about the things that God does to his enemies or the, thing, or the ways in which God has allowed him to take over his own enemies. Uh, this is a large portion of this song. Uh, in the first few verses of this section, David describes how he sees God. He describes how he sees God. And this isn't how we typically think of God. And this may, of course, not be a literal description of God, but there's something to be said that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is how David is describing God. This is the things that David are saying about God. Look at verse 8. We're just going to kind of walk through a couple of the ways that he describes God. Verse 8, he describes God as uh, earth quaking. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. His anger is causing the earth to quake. Verse 9 basically describes, describes him as breathing fire. It says, Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Verse 11 describes him as flying on the wings of the wind. Verse uh, 14 describes him having a thundering voice. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. So this is a picture of God that we don't often think about. This is a picture of an angry God and a wrathful God. This is not the copy we think of. It's, it's, it's wrath and, and anger. And when we do think about this picture of God, how do we think about it? How do we think about the wrath of God? I think we normally think about it kind of pointed at us or pointed at sinners, right? That's how we normally think about the wrath of God. And that's true. I mean, outside of the forgiveness of Christ, we are under the wrath of God. It's in Jesus uh, that we are saved from the wrath of God. And, uh, but we typically think of it that way, as being something that, that is pointing, pointed at us or at the world in general or at the wicked. Uh, but David here, he sees the wrath of God and this scary description that he's describing. But David doesn't sound scared 
He actually sounds confident because David sees the wrath of God as not being something that's pointed at him, but it's pointed at his enemies. See, the wrath that, that he's describing here isn't uh, God being angry with David. It's God being angry at those who would harm David. And so God is wrathfully protecting David. God is wrathfully avenging David. I think that's pretty in incredible to see the wrath of God not working as something to be afraid of, but something to, to be confident in. David's confident that the wrath of God is, is conquering his enemies. That the wrath of God is protecting David. It's pulling him out of the snares of death. And uh, God goes beyond just protecting David, but He avenges David. I want us to read verses 35 uh, and 43 and kind of see how God goes on the offensive here. This isn't just shielding David. This is uh, aiding David to, to fight and to destroy his enemies. Verse 34, He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set, my, and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You have a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sing under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me and I destroyed them. They looked, but there were none to save. They cried to the Lord, but He did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. So this is a picture of God not just defending David, but protecting and avenging David mightily and powerfully going on the offense for David. I mean, so God is wrathful against our sin. That is true. God hates sin. But God also is wrathful against those who attempt to harm His people. So there is protection in the wrath of God. And there is love in the wrath of God. Uh, the wrath of God is not only against sin, but also in defense of His people. And it is loving. So that's the thing that we can learn from this Reflection is that the wrath of God is in defense of His people and it is loving. We don't often think about the wrath of God as being something loving. We think about it as being wrathful. Uh, a pastor named John Piper puts it this way. He says, God's wrath is His love in action against sin. God's wrath is His love in action against sin. That's both against sin and against those who seek to harm His people, God is showing His love by judging sin and by protecting His people and thus protecting His glory. So God's wrath is good news for us. It is good news for those who are in Christ because that means that God's wrath is not aimed at us, but it's aimed at those who would attempt to harm us, at, at, at Satan and those who would uh, act against us. But for those who are not in Christ, Hebrews 10.31 tells us, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So now, I want to take a minute and kind of step back a little bit. Because in some ways, we can be a lot like David. And we can say, uh, you know, God is protecting us and God is um, helping us. But I don't want you to hear this and start seeking vengeance against people you would call your enemies like David does. I mean, God actually uses David to, to rout out the enemies of Israel. 
But I'm not saying that God is going to use you to get your own vengeance against your own enemies. I think that would be counterproductive here. The truth here is that God is the one who, uh, who is protecting David. God is the one who is uh, showing his vengeance against sin and against enemies. And so for us, if we really understand God's protection and God's love, then we don't need to go seeking other people's downfall. We don't need to go seeking um, God's enemies to be destroyed. It means that we just trust God and that we trust that He will deal justly with sin. That He will be the one to uh, overcome evil. But again, it doesn't mean that we become vengeful people. That's the point. We're not the ones becoming vengeful here and saying, you know, you got yours coming. Romans 12 verses 8 through 19 tells us, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So there's no room for both us and God to be vengeful. God is big enough, God is strong enough and perfect enough, and His vengeance is perfect and it is just, and He needs no help from us. So in these first two reflections, we've seen that David reflects on his afflictions, and out of that we can learn that we can praise God during our afflictions. And then we see David uh, just ponder the awesome power of God as he reflects on God's response to those afflictions. As he responds to people trying to hurt David, we see God's power. We learn that the wrath of God is not only against sin and, and, and aimed at sinners, but the wrath of God is also in defense of His people, and it is loving in its nature. So now we come to the third reflection that David makes. And I have to admit, this, this reflection is a little bit weird. You're going to say, kind of, huh, on this one? Um, but the, last thing that David, the third thing that David reflects on is his own righteousness. David reflects on his own righteousness. Read verses 21 through 25 with me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of, the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. This does not sound like the David that we know, right? <laughs> this does not sound like some of the things that we've seen David do. Maybe if this was before Bathsheba and Uriah, we could, we could kind of chime in and say, yeah, David was a man after God's own heart. This is true. Uh, but this is, quite frankly, not the David that we've seen. We've seen over and over again David's sin, in, and not even just in little ways, but in big ways. And so what, how is it that David is able to say these things about himself? How is it that David can say, I am blameless before the Lord, that I am righteous before the Lord? He's not just ignorant of his own sin, I want you to take a second and turn to Psalm 51. Turn to Psalm 51. Uh, I want you to see two different things that David says here. Because he's not just ignorant of his own sin. He, he writes this shortly after his, one of his major downfalls with Bathsheba. Psalm 51, look at verses 3 through 6. He says, For I know 
my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So David, even at this point as he's writing this, is not ignorant of his own sin. David is fully aware of the things that he has done. He's fully aware that he has sinned against God, that he has transgressions against God, that he has iniquity against God. So it's not that we know something that David doesn't know about his own sin. David is fully aware of his own sin. He uh, constantly recognizes his sin throughout that psalm. So again, how is it that David is able to make these bold statements about his own righteousness? And the, the truth is that he can make these statements because he knows that God graciously forgives those who turn to him in repentance. That's what we can learn from this Reflection is that God graciously forgives those who turn to Him in repentance. Um, in Psalm 51, I want you to see here, uh, again, what, what David says after pointing out his own sin. Look at verses 7 through 17. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall, become, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in the right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. But can you hear in this psalm how David understands his sin, but then he begs God for forgiveness? He turns to God in repentance and asks God to clean his heart, to create in me a new heart, O God, to clean his lips and then to open his lips to speak his praise. Can you hear David's broken and contrite spirit here? And we have good reason to believe that God responds to this plea to God with a yes. In fact, before David would have been able to write these words, before David would have had a chance to write these things down, he was already forgiven. In 2 Samuel 12, where we read about Nathan rebuking David, he says, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. So the sin of David was put away. It was gone. And that's why David can say that uh, I am righteous before God. That's how David can say that he is blameless. Not because of something that he has done, but because God has cleaned him. And God remembers that sin no more. We mentioned this in the youth a few weeks ago, the fact that God remembers something no more. What does that mean? It means he forgets something. And that sounds kind of odd to think about God forgetting something. But that's what God is doing. God is choosing not to remember something uh, that would be against us, that would be bad for us for him to remember. Over and over again, uh, God's word tells us, I will remember their sins no more. So when we're forgiving, it is as if God is wiping it from his own memory. It is as if God is not ever going to hold that against us. We are cleansed. 
We are whiter than snow, as David mentions here. We are forgiven. This is why David can say that he is blameless. Not because he is sinless, but because he has given his heart to God, and God is faithful, and he is just to forgive us when we come to him in repentance. David knows that this isn't something that he has done. Look at verse 23. You can go back to 2 Samuel now. Look at 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 23. He says, uh, or excuse me, where he says, uh, uh, sorry, I think I lost the place, but he says, this God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. I lost the verse number there. Uh, but that's what he says. This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. So he knows that it's not his own doing that makes himself blameless. It's something that God has done for him. God is uh, pulling him to himself and making him blameless. So again, in this third reflection, we learn of the graciousness of God to forgive sinners. And this brings us to the, the fourth and final reflection. Finally, in these, these last couple of verses... Uh, and this song that David has, he, he focuses and he reflects on the promise of God. Focuses on God's promise. Look at verses 50 and 51. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. That last sentence is like a not-so-subtle reminder of what God promised David in 2 Samuel 12 or 2 Samuel 7. He says, "When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." So the promise was fulfilled in a couple ways. In the immediate way for David, David did have a son who would build God a house. But that son would go on to die, and his son would go on to die, and his son would go on to die, and that kingdom would eventually fall. But the more important way that that promise was fulfilled was through Christ, the descendant of David who would live a truly blameless and righteous life, a sinless life, and he died at the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. See, if, if we only would put our trust in him, it's in Christ that God can say, I remember your sin no more. It's in Christ that God can say that. And because our sin has been atoned for through His blood. And it's in Christ that we are made blameless because He's the one who's carried the blame. So in this last reflection, we learn the how we are forgiven. We see in the third reflection that God does forgive those who repent. But in this reflection, we learn that we are forgiven because of Jesus. We learn the how to that third truth. That only through Jesus we're forgiven. The promised Messiah that David is kind of alluding to and he says, and his offspring forever. In a moment we're going to have a hymn of invitation. Uh, the altar is open. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, then today is the day to come and receive that, that salvation uh, and to see the love of God like never before. Let's pray uh, and let's pray. Dear God, thank you for uh, this time that we have to, uh, to dig through your word, that we had to just, just, just open and to see your truth through God and to, to show us through the life of David how you've been gracious to David and you've been gracious to us to God, that you sent your son 
uh, to atone for us, dear God, that you can look at us and see nothing but righteousness, dear God, because of what uh, happened at the cross, dear God, because you look at Jesus and you see uh, us as righteous because of the cross, dear God. We thank you for that. And we thank you that you forgive us for our sins, dear God, that you forget our sins long before we probably do. And we just praise you for that. And we ask that you help us to, to come to you and to trust you. And all these things I pray in your gracious and holy name. Amen.